This episode of the Mother Loving Future Show is brought to you by Amber Lestrange and Jenna Penrose with JMO 5000 Productions. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show. I am Jenna Penrose, and I'm here to introduce this week's episode, Amber's Birth Story with Big Birth Junkie. We hope you guys have had a fun week, and we have a fun episode for you today. Um, This week's episode was recorded live with Big Birth Junkie podcast hosted by Elizabeth Bachner, who is Amber's midwife from Graceful Birthing in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. In this episode, we get the pleasure of hearing Amber interviewed on her conception and birth story and revealing all the ups and downs of her journey, including her personal transformation into motherhood. And it's really cool because you get to hear Amber's side of it and Elizabeth's side of it, which was her midwife at the time. Um, So this is an exciting episode. Before we get into that, let's um, read a review because as you know, we love to give a shout out to anybody who leaves a review for our podcast because we just love you so, 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 so much that we just need to read your review. So today's review is called New Favorite Podcast and it says, I love everything about this podcast, the honesty, open, and frank sharing about life being a mother and for those considering becoming a mother. Always look forward to my... Uh, to my today dose. And that's from Emerald. Thank you so much, Emerald. Like we are happy that you are um, loving the daily dose. Keep that up. Um, Also this week, have you checked out our shop tab on our website? Because it is action packed full of conscious brands that you guys can get discount codes on. So head on over to the motherlovingfuture.com shop tab and check out all the brands that we have. This week's affiliate feature is Oh Baby and use the link, um, Use the link on our website for 15% off. Oh Baby has many resources for new parents, including nutrition guides, postpartum support, and a blog. Their content includes videos, eBooks, recipes, meal plans, and more. Discover how and when to start that to ensure that your baby establishes healthy eating habits right from the beginning. And I know from having one picky eater that that's not always as easy as it sounds. So... Before we, last thing before we get into the episode, just want to give you a quick definition for Amber's birth story. And that is Amber shares her raw and real journey through conception, pregnancy, and birth. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Thanks Hello. for coming. I really appreciate everyone who's um, who's showing up for this intimate gathering. And um, welcome to a live taping of Big Birth Junkie. Yay! Yay. <laughs> shimmy, shimmy. <laughs> and we've got uh, Amber here this evening, Amber Lestrange, and she's going to be sharing her story. And we have an extra special guest. Yes. Would you like to introduce yourself? What's your name? Valentine. Uh-huh. Mr. Valentine. And we're going to, Valentine, we're going to be sharing your birth story today. What? When you were on the inside and then when you came outside. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I just want to do a little introduction here. So Amber's also here. Are there, Amber's here with her partner today, Jenna. And Amber and Jenna are the co-creators and hosts of the Mother Loving Future Show, and it's a podcast of conversations in the new paradigm 
dedicated to the revolution of consciousness and the realization that the work starts with healing ourselves. I couldn't agree more. Um, Every episode of the Mother Loving Future show is an opportunity to look deeper into the world of mindful relationships, radiant health, modern spirituality, and conscious parenting. I, I love how you said that. That really is concise. And it hits every point. Thank you. Yes. Um, Amber and Jenna share their personal stories of discovery, growth, and evolution while balancing work, marriage, and motherhood. Jenna and Amber are two mamas of toddlers, riding the current wave of consciousness in Los Angeles, California. Jenna Penrose is a writer and a lyricist with a BA in philosophy and an MA in anthropology. And Amber Lestrange is a holistic, is a certified Kundalini yoga instructor, holistic health coach, and a model. They dedicate their work to shifting the consciousness of the planet towards balance, ancient feminine wisdom, and sustainable systems for all forms of life on Earth. I am so in alignment with everything there. Awesome. I'm not this a is, toddler. Oh, he Valentine just wants to clear up. He's not a toddler. Oh, you're not a toddler? <laughs> no. I'm a kid. You, I, 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 kid. I will totally go just with that. Just for the record that, yeah, we need to update our I'm intro. Not He's a, a kid. That's true. <laughs> Thank you for that intro, Liz. You're that welcome. Thank you. I, I, it was quite lengthy. I didn't quite realize that. But <laughs> quite a mouthful there. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So Amber and I go way back. Um, how many years ago did we meet? Way back. Well, Valentine is four. And so I'd say about five years ago. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Elizabeth was my midwife, and um, we became close friends through that whole process. Mm -hmm. And then I met your whole community. Yeah, that's right. And um, who, who, also I passed you on to one of my other best friends. Who was that? Paloma. Oh, yes, of course, Paloma. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you've just been, you know, part of our lives. It's so funny going through such an intimate process and such a major life transition that bond and closeness is just, it feels like your family. You're going to get me, me all verklempt. Oh, I'm going to start crying. Good. There's, a lot, of, there's so. a lot of people out here I feel the same way about. Yeah, it's a magical experience mm -hmm. to have together. Do you, would you be willing to share um, the conception? Because I know that was a bit of a surprise for you. Oh, yeah. This is a great story. Uh -huh. All right, ladies. Hope you're sitting down for this one. <laughs> um, so, uh, not the usual conception. Um, you know... Conscious conception is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, especially being an L.A. local. Um, and this was an interest. I would have done it in a way where I intentionally, you know, called in my baby spirit and had time to cleanse my body and done a heavy metal protocol and <laughs> meditated on it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But instead, my... Now husband and I back then had been um, engaged for about six weeks and um, we were on our way to a friend's birthday party and basically we were running half an hour early and he said, well, we could just sit at the dingy Korean food restaurant bar or we could just go into a back street and make love. <laughs> and so, uh -huh. you know, I'm going to clearly take the, the better option. Um, and so we, it was a very unexpected kind of turn of events that night. And 
I had been um, diagnosed as infertile and with polycystic ovaries earlier on in my life. And so the label, the my ego had attached to the identity of being infertile and it had become a story of mine. And so for most of my life, I just kind of um, followed that belief that mm-hmm. I was infertile and that it was going to be really a mission to try to get pregnant. So it was really never a big... Um, hey, <laughs> There's my little butterfly right there. Uh-huh. The result of all this magic. <laughs> so, um, so basically that night, um, my partner and I are, were usually very careful, but that night being in a car, we had to get inventive. <laughs> and um, I'm like, oh, well, you know... What's what doesn't matter if it's every one, every once in a blue moon, nothing will happen. Uh-huh. I'm fertile, don't worry about it. And of course, that um, one time, yeah, that one time, um, little Mr. Valentine that um, is sitting right next to me heard the call and popped right in. Go on, Jenna's gonna help you with the phone. So, and I guess the <laughs> Valentine is just. Tearing up the seed right now. <laughs> has he heard the story before? Um, I think he has. Valentine, you should listen to this story. This is how you came into mommy's tummy. What kind of car was it? A Prius. <laughs> <laughs> I just to give you some good visuals, I did consider giving Valentine Prius as his middle name, just so you know. But then I have to explain the story, and he would have to explain the story to everyone. And I just thought, no, nah, that's a bit of a burden to carry around your whole life. But the beautiful part, the conscious conception part comes in where um, six weeks before that night, my husband and I were at the Getty Wishing Well. And he threw in a wish. Is this he, when you were getting engaged? We had just gotten engaged. Uh-huh. And in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, I have a year to wriggle out of this if I don't want to be in it. <laughs> like, it, I'm a bit of a kind of commitment of uh-huh. in a lot of ways. And um, it was very scary, the idea of being completely in something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he, and there's this joke in our family where Kerry gets everything he wishes for. He's got this magical power. And he flipped this coin into the wishing well and he closed his eyes and he had a little moment. And I said, what did you wish for? And he's like, just a little baby boy. I'm like, what? What? No, 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 no. Cancel clear. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we know you get everything you wish for. You put a time frame on that, right? He's like, no, just whenever he's ready. Little healthy baby boy. I'm like, oh. Six weeks later, Uh his ears had perked up and he came in the second he got the chance. So that's our conception story. Love that. (laughs) The, you know... This, the, this things, the, the best things in life are sometimes very unexpected and spontaneous, shall we say. Mm-hmm. I do believe our babies choose us. So that was, um, yeah, cl- clearly Valentine had other ideas. And then what journey did you start to go on while you were pregnant? How was that? It was very interesting because I grew up with a mother who... Um, drilled into me that you know she wasn't enjoying parenthood as much as she could have and so a lot of the time I felt like she was overwhelmed and stressed Mm -hmm. out and a lot of the time I remember hearing you kids have just ruined my life (laughs) 
I, I never wanted this much chaos. And I think that's common. I think it is common. It's a yeah. Common story. There's Women a couple. There's stress. a couple nods in the room. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I know we all do our best to the degree we can in a life of stresses and overwhelm, and we're all dealing with our own pain a right. lot of the time. So it's hard to be the best for someone else when we're so immersed in our own stuff. So that was my mum's story. And she <laughs> she kind of drilled into me that parenthood and being a mother was a drain and was going to rob you of your freedom, of your creative pursuits, of mm. your independence. And so I had inherited that belief system. And so <laughs> when I fell pregnant with Valentine... It was really a, a shocking kind of discovery for me because, as I said before, I had all these plans. I was going to be, I was going to draw out the engagement for at least two years, uh-huh. and then I was going to be married for four years and would travel the world, and then I would be able to like do my cleansing and whatever, and then it was all going to be planned and controlled. But <laughs> <laughs> just like parenting, yeah, that's when God laughs laughs at you. Yeah, exactly. So I felt melancholy when I first found out I was pregnant and I felt in shock and I felt scared Mm -hmm. because I was still looking at parenthood in context of what I had inherited from my mother and all my fears came to the surface and I started observing these fears and realized that they didn't belong to me Mm. and I got this urgent I, I got this kind of urgent feeling and sensation to um, c- claim back my power around choosing motherhood rather than the story of it just happened to me and this is just a major life change that has just happened to me and I haven't been able to choose it. And so I had a moment of meditating and going inward and just thinking about the spirit that had chosen me and what a miracle it was because I did think I was infertile and getting to the place of saying to myself I choose this I choose motherhood and I can invent it any way I want it to be beautiful yeah that was my time to just cut that lineage and reinvent it and how how far pregnant were you at that moment probably about six weeks pregnant at that point Mm -hmm. so for two weeks I really struggled with it and then when I realized I get to invent it how I want it to be I started to get excited and did you feel like everything shifting I did it was an interesting process because I asked myself oh wait I get to choose what motherhood looks like it doesn't have to be how my Mm. friends do it how my mom did it how her mom did it What's on the TV? What's on the, you know, in the magazines? I get to invent it to look anyway. I'm like, cool. I'm going to make it fun. I'm going to make it a big adventure, which (laughs) clearly it is. Uh I'm going to make it sexy. I'm going to make it spontaneous. I'm going to make it every, an extension of what I want my life to be and who I am in my essence. That is beautiful. Yeah. Really and then beautiful. It to be fun, and then uh-huh. I was like, "All right, let's move on. <laughs> this is looking way better." Uh huh. And then the rest of the pregnancy went pretty smoothly. It was interesting because once I'd chosen the 
I'd chosen motherhood and I'd chosen this spirit and I'd opened and embraced it, I then got that urgency to clear out any baggage or emotional stories that didn't serve me or relationships that were kind of unclosed uh-huh. or health things that I um, had issues around or belief systems that didn't serve this new choice. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself really um, spring cleaning my life on a spiritual, physical, emotional level. So I was making amends with a lot of um, predominant people in my life. Mm -hmm. I really just got this sensation like my baby spirit was moving me to be the cleanest, clearest, most vital version of myself for them to be created from. Beautiful. So, yeah, I, I did a lot of um, spring cleaning in during my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And what better um, fuel but to, you know, create the best space possible genetic-wise, emotionally-wise, spiritually-wise for my child to inherit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. And then how did labor go? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to your seats. Um, so... I always felt called to approach birth in a natural way. Uh Um, I found a lot of personal healing through the natural therapies and through a more natural approach to life and health in general. So it just was always, it always seemed like uh, the next step was to do an unmedicated natural birth. Um, So... (laughs) I also am, uh, I'm a Leo Leo, I'm a full Leo, and I, I grew up with two brothers, woo, it's all the Leo ladies, um, I grew up with two brothers, and I grew up fighting, I grew up like one of the boys, and always felt quite a capable, tough, um, high pain threshold kind of mm-hmm. woman, and so I had been through some major accidents in my life, which I held quite well and I I just assumed that birth would be put in that same category and (laughs) silly naive little girl um and so I went in it with um assumptions that it was a pain or a sensation that I could I was maybe familiar with or could get in touch with did it feel like anything you'd ever felt before Never. never and how would you best describe it a, it was the the energy of the universe running through me like a freight train, like that expansive, that like, ex- yeah, I just, it was like I was contracting and expanding at the same time mm-hmm. and the force was otherworldly and was so intense and had a, a mission of its own other than what I could control that all I had to do was surrender and pray. <laughs> <laughs> and how long did it take you to surrender? Um, gosh, it was all such a haze. <laughs> I think, you know, our bodies and minds have an incredible way of blocking out um, intense moments, especially birth. So yes. we go in for the second mm-hmm. round. Uh-huh. Um, I think that I could handle pre-labor quite well. I quite liked it. It was quite mm-hmm. exciting. And you had your community with you, right? Yeah, I did. Um, well, I it, it's funny because when the birth kicked in and things got serious, 
um, like an animal, you know, preparing for birth, I wanted to retreat into a space where I could let go and not have to be any with anyone else or anywhere else, just fully within myself. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have any community around us during the labor or birth. My mom and my mother-in-law were there, but in hindsight, I would have preferred no one to be in the room besides you and carry my husband. Mm -hmm. So, and my doula. So um, pre-labor was kind of fun and exciting. And then when my water broke, uh, that's when the universal freight train was coming into the station. It was intense. I, I still have remember seeing you and just, you described it so well of this expansion and contraction at the, at the same, same time. time. Yeah. It was like, I remember looking at you and going, oh my God, I'm like watching it kind of spiral in and you're just trying to hold, hold it together <laughs> almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was scary being, I'd never been so out of control in my life before. Like I, I, it's truly the only thing to do is surrender and trust that your body knows what to do and the baby knows what to do. Right, right. And Which are the words <laughs> I was probably saying. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. No, you definitely imprinted them in my mind. But it's interesting because we have been programmed to avoid pain and discomfort yes. for our whole lives as humans. And it's almost like we need training to surrender to the discomfort in order to move with the energy of birth. Right. So I love how you're using the word discomfort. And it, you could have chosen to use the word pain, but using the word discomfort because life has discomfort discomforting times that aren't necessarily painful, but it's uncomfortable. And we don't know how to move through that. We know how to buy our way through it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, t we're kind of taught that. Mm -hmm. And often that emotional discomfort, say, obviously there's physical and emotional discomfort, but that emotional type of discomfort often perpetuates the more we try avoid the discomfort. And I have found the most raw, intense discomfort I have felt emotionally in my life, like major breakups or losses in that relationship zone, the more I tried to distract myself from it and not move into it and lean into it, the more it haunted me. So I have a question. Did you find yourself at any point in time during the labor trying to like disassociate or distract from it? And then you had to lean into it to get through it? I think <clears throat> if I really drop back into the visceral sensations, which is how I get back to those moments most, it feels like I, through your coaching, I was trying to move into it. Mm -hmm. And my technique to do that became very primal. Right. It became just like trying to open continue staying open intentionally staying open with the breath with movement with um this roar came over me that that this like moaning groundedness came over me mm -hmm. and those sound really helped me stay grounded um and i would go inward i would really just close my eyes and use the breath and try move with the energy rather than tense up and move away from it I would try to but I'm sure in the beginning I was so bombarded by this sensation my initial instinct was to well I think that's a human instinct up. yeah you know 
to, to do that. And that's why I think it's so brilliant to, to arm yourself with preparation in these moments to train yourself to open up mm-hmm. with the discomfort or have tools like hypnobirthing, which keeps you grounded and keeps you open. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that, but I heard it's incredible. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> so um, we knew on a physical level he was on the inside and he liked to, uh, was it suck his thumbs or he was putting his hands under his chin? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of those ones. Uh-huh. And did he move his hand? Elizabeth <laughs> was like, I know the answer to this question. Just looking at me with this little smile. Um, well, there were two issues, I think, on the um, on Valentine's front that, you know, I don't expect him to take responsibility for, uh-huh. but it was definitely <laughs> part of my journey. Um, so one aspect was that, yeah, he, inside the womb, he would take this position of putting his, um, fist underneath his chin, right? which was super cute when he's like all cuddled up in there. Not so cute when you're trying to pull him out. So anyone who's taken my childbirth ed class knows this and I talk about it all the time. When a baby's head is, um, like flexed and the chin can't tuck to the chest, the smallest part of the head can't present. It's the bigger part of the head that presents. And so it's takes, sometimes it takes more time. Sometimes it's a little more painful. And I'm always telling the little ones inside, it's like hands to heart, hands to heart, hands to heart, yeah, chin to chest, you know, to really trying to, to support an efficient yeah, labor. That would be nice. Yeah, that was not that was not the <laughs> lesson. No. no, and it didn't help as well that it felt like Valentine just didn't have a small part of his head. Like the whole head was monster, huge, mm-hmm. all of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think he was 99th percentile head size. Oh, when he came out. Yeah. Yeah, it was he he has a big head. You can all have a look right now. It's covered with a nice mop of hair, but um, <laughs> if it weren't there, you would see it's quite a Quite a nice, large, masculine head. Uh-huh. So I, I contribute my level of intensity around the sensation of my birth with the unique variables of, of his body and of my pain, you know, of, of just my body as well, that, you know, his head size also contributed to mm-hmm. the level of in- intensity I was feeling and the speed. It was quite a quick birth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that... You know, we're all such unique bio-individuals in, you know, our pain threshold, our size of our hips, the size of our baby, Mm -hmm. emotional, mental opening or closing, you know, fears that we've inherited or we have. We're, We're such unique compositions of people that... I could never say someone else's birth could be like mine. Correct. Absolutely correct. And the other part of that is I have yet to see two siblings, even twins, have the same birth. Wow. Because you have to remember, each child is individual. Mm -hmm. It's always different. Yeah. Do you see a lot of the time that how a child comes into the world, like their birth story is reflected in who they are? All the the time. so cool. All the time. Anybody else here notice that their child's personality was kind of part of the birth journey? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of nods out here. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. No, I do. I do That's think awesome. it's it's part of that. Yeah, Valentine's quite a fast runner. So oh. I'm thinking that speediness <laughs> he came through with is just like in his genetic coding. <laughs> so 
when he came into the world, mm-hmm. what, what was that like? He was born in the water. He was born in the water at home in a little cottage in Venice where our neighbors are <laughs> like two centimeters from either side of our walls. And my poor neighbors thought that I was being murdered by someone. <laughs> you didn't I give them the heads up? <laughs> I mean, they saw me waddling around up and down the street for days beforehand. So I'm sure they got it eventually. But uh-huh. it was, I had a girlfriend living across the street in the back unit of the house. And she you never was told texting me, me going, are you okay? I can hear you from my know bathroom, that. which is at the back of the back house. I'm like, mm-hmm. throwing my phone against the wall. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, yeah, it was because my birth was quite um, quick uh-huh. and, and it was quite intense for me. I felt like I was, um, I had an existential experience after my birth. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for that, um, you know, being flooded with endorphins and looking down and feeling pure love and feeling connected with your baby in this like bubble of bliss like nothing else didn't come. Mm -hmm. And um, it really freaked me out because I felt disassociated to him and the room and my body and my partner. I think that my body was in trauma and Mm -hmm. shock from the intensity of what had happened because of the speed of it that I didn't have a moment to ground. I was so blasted open energetically and physically Mm -hmm. that I wasn't in my body enough to connect with my child. So it was scary. The, the, the afterbirth process was scary on that level. Physically was also quite, um, I couldn't really walk for days. Mm-hmm. Um, I thank God I had my mother-in-law and my mother there help, helping me to the bathroom and changing sheets and making food and doing everything else because I couldn't really move. Mm-hmm. And it took me about... 10 days to ground Mm -hmm. to come back into my body and start feeling connected to Valentine Mm -hmm. and to what was going on. Right. And then not to mention the sleep deprivation. Oh, well that went on for (laughs) years. It's still Uh going on. I ended up with a foot in my face this morning. Uh Um, Yeah. The, the sleep, I mean, I could handle the sleep deprivation in the first couple of weeks it was fine I once I had grounded back into my body and I could feel connected to myself and to my child I I then felt that immense overflowing sensation of connection and love and I just didn't want to sleep I just Mm. it was so hard for me I was so excited to watch every breath and look at every little eyelash and it's just the most miraculous experience to have this miracle in front of you that it's hard to sleep Mm -hmm. you're so enamored but the sleep deprivation um definitely was an issue come about a year year and a half of not of only like going through a couple of hours of sleep a night Uh maybe four on average that's not a lot it it i honestly 
we just recently did a podcast on postpartum mm-hmm. and the 40-day rule. And I definitely did not do the 40-day rule, which I'm definitely doing next time. Well, well, also, I mean, it was quite the community after yes. after the birth. I've never seen anything like that. It's beautiful. And you someone had a guitar in. playing <laughs> the guitar with like the community all around. But I can also imagine the challenges because you know you weren't in your body. Yeah, and I wish that looking back, obviously I'm anticipating getting pregnant again sometime soon and I'm, I would love to make, create a birth plan which preceded the birth. Mm. So I would like to create um, boundaries around the space after the birth to just have quiet time and to go inward and not to feel... Um, obligated to anyone or anything but to my own self i try to explain that to pregnant people before they give birth Mm -hmm. but it somehow doesn't sink in (laughs) (laughs) nothing really does until you're actually living right no it's just it's just this it's so unknown it's so hard Mm. to explain so anybody listening anybody out here wise words over here yeah it's good to have a plan and to just give yourself space to recover because Mm -hmm. I blame my um, inability or just unawareness of how important that recovery stage and postpartum is. Mm -hmm. I kind of blame that on my miscarriages and my current health issues. I feel like I never fully recovered from my birth. Mm -hmm. Would would you be willing to share a little bit about that? (laughs) Because that's another journey yeah that's another journey it never Mm -hmm. stops (laughs) parenthood just you know just keeps on going with the journeys um yeah so I recently um last year Carrie and my husband and I said okay time for number two Mm -hmm. Valentine needs a little a little distraction to play with so we we're not constantly having to play with him 24 7 um (laughs) and um it just felt time he Mm -hmm. valentine was three we're like that's a nice gap that kind of like suits us it it suited the plan Uh and we all know when you have plans god laughs they go to shit that's right so we tried to con we we started um conceiving Uh and i think it took probably about four months before I fell pregnant, which in itself was an interesting process because I had never um, tried to fall pregnant before. It just happened with Valentine. I was attached to the idea of that's just what was going to happen this time. And when I wasn't falling pregnant and really trying this time, it was um, quite confronting to my... um, I guess my insecurities. Mm. I suddenly thought, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Do, is there something I need to fix? There's something I should be doing that um, to help this process. So I had to let go of that. But it was an interesting process. And then when I did fall pregnant, we were like, woohoo, we're pregnant. And then um, shortly after that, you got a call because I started bleeding. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I realized that I had a miscarriage. We were out camping in El Capitan and having a nice, like, family camping trip with friends. And I realized that I was miscarriaging. And um, that really opened up a whole can of worms because... 
because I was never really, I was the first out of my community, out of my friends to have a baby. So I had never been around a lot of kids and I was never one of those girls that really, you know, looked into motherhood and I'm still working my periods out. So I didn't really <laughs> even really know what a miscarriage, like I knew what a miscarriage was, but I didn't really know how, how common they were and what actually happened when you miscarriage and why. I didn't know anything. So I, and, and by the way, most people don't know about it until, until it, happens. it happens. And unfortunately also most people don't know that their best friends or their sister-in-laws or their neighbors have also experienced it because there's so much shame around the subject. Yeah, and that's a problem is feeling alone about mm -hmm. it. Like no one spoke about it. So I thought that I was this strange, broken creature mm. that was the only one that wasn't healthy enough, wasn't... Um, you know, perfect enough to create, to hold a child. Right. And Jenna and I also did a podcast on demystifying miscarriages because you. it was a real, yeah, process of me thinking, why don't people talk about this? Why should, does that mean I can't talk about it? Is it a cultural thing that people feel ashamed about it? Or um, Will people judge me if I do share the fact that I've had a miscarriage and see me as broken? What's going to... So I started dissecting mm -hmm. this concept of miscarriage and the stigma around it or the mystery around it. And the more I started to open up about it and to speak to people about it, the more people felt safe to um, kind of share their experiences with mm -hmm. it. And I realized that it was so common. Yeah. And that there are multiple reasons why women miscarry. And I've only recently think I've decoded the reason my body wasn't ready to hold a child. But that's just one that's just one road that a miscarriage could take you in the discovery. A lot of the I mean, you would know more about this than me, mm -hmm. but I realize it's very common and it can happen for multiple reasons. Right. And what, what, what's your truth around that for your body? It wasn't, well, so it was, it's an interesting story. Once again, I just didn't end there. Did it have to do with a Prius? <laughs> uh, <laughs> damn Prius. Um, so that was the first miscarriage. So mm -hmm. then I gave myself some time and then um, six weeks later or two months later, I fell pregnant again. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but I didn't know I was pregnant. So my period didn't come. And then at six weeks, it came, but it wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, this is some cruel joke. Um, and it just went and went and went. And it was about two weeks of heavy bleeding. And I was in New York at the time um, on a little stint there. I obviously live in L.A. And I was speaking to my mom. I was with my mom and she said, maybe you have an infection from the miscarriage because you never went and got yourself checked out at a gynecologist or anything like that. Maybe when you go, when we get back in a couple of days, you should go get yourself checked out. And so I went to my gynecologist and I went in for an ultrasound and she said, hmm, this is interesting. Your uterus is squeaky clean. There's no issues or infection or anything there, but... I do see what seems like a little fetus sac in your fallopian tube. And I'm like, huh? 
that doesn't make sense. What does that mean? And she's like, mm, well, let's do a pregnancy test because if it comes back positive, then it's something called an ectopic Topic. pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I'm once again clueless. Like, ectopic what? Okay. Is it edible? I don't understand what that <laughs> is. And so um, I was pregnant. It came back positive and then um, she then stepped me through the fact that an ectopic pregnancy is when you get pregnant outside of the the, the uterus. Mm-hmm. And so then that was a, a very interesting journey once again of what is going on? Why, why do I have this like blockage around my reproductive story or the communication or what is my body trying to tell me? There isn't, something isn't flowing in this region. It can't just be, it just can't be like a mistake. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so my gynecologist said, you know, it is, you know, semi-common. You're only six weeks pregnant or seven weeks pregnant. So you can take um, chemo in the form of an injection, a low-grade chemo. So there was the... when, when one has an ectopic pregnancy, mm-hmm. we do have to have that eliminated Dissolved, out of the body. Yeah. yeah. There's no possible way it can survive. Correct. It's in your fallopian tube. Mm-hmm. And you can get, you can have an ectopic not just in your fallopian tube, right? Is, it, is there anywhere else you can have it? Or is it just fallopian tube? I just know of it fallopian tube, but okay. I'd, probably have to, I'd probably have to Google that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> me too. Uh-huh. Um, thank God for Google. So... Um, she gave me the ster- the um, the chemo and had a shot in the bum and I'm like, cool, all right, that that should be fine and I'm very I'm a very relaxed kind of trusting person and I'm very optimistic so mm-hmm. I just thought that's gonna be it's gonna be gone and I'm gonna move on with my life no big deal. I remember having these conversations yeah. with you like what should I do where do I go what yeah. direction you're very clear this was the direction yeah mm-hmm. and because the other option was surgery right and so I thought oh. Gosh, do I really want to get wrapped up in surgery in America? Like, I don't know, was that? You haven't noticed the accent is like? Aussie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I was, I just said, let's just do the no fuss route. I'll get the injection; uh-huh. it'll shrink, and then I'll move on with my life. No big deal. So, I got the injection, and then um, I, about four days into that, I was really not feeling well. I had Valentine um, at home and I was feeling like I was going to vomit or pass out, one or the other. I didn't know what was going on. And I thought to myself, this is the, the, the problem of being an optimist. Oh, it's working. It must be working because the, it's kicking in and that's why I'm feeling so crappy. And this is good maybe. And the doctor said to me, you will know it's, there's still a potential for it to rupture and when it ruptures, that's a life or death situation because you're going to be internally right. bleeding, mm-hmm. right? So you'll know. And I'm like, how do I know if it's going to rupture? She's like, you'll know if you're rupturing because it will be a 10 out of 10 pain scale. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> of course, I was waiting for my 10 out of 10 and the sensations I was getting weren't quite at my 10 out of 10 because I had had my natural birth, right? <laughs> so what I didn't realize is that my 10 out of 10 was really a 15 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And most normal people, I was at the 10 out of 10. Yeah. And so I ran a bath and called my friends and she came over to watch Valentine because I was immobile at this state. And I managed to slip into the bath before I vomited or passed out. And then my husband came home and 
as I got, I'd be in the bath for about two hours and as I managed to get the strength to stand up, I passed out. Mm. And then I passed out on the floor. <laughs> he, of course, thought I was joking around. So it's like, like, I, like I'm hanging over him like a dead body. And he's like, oh, not funny, babe, not funny. Come on, get up. I was like a flopsy mopsy doll. Oh. He's like, Abba, not funny. And he's like, oh, my God. And he put me down. And I was completely out. He thought I had died or something. He was slapping me across the face. Well, yeah, because he's trying to... <laughs> no, no. And shaking yeah. me. I just would love a hidden camera to see that. I'm sorry. I just think that's so funny. And the weirdest thing was I was having a dream in my head while I was passed out that I was at a fun park, like a fair. And there was a big Ferris wheel and there were clowns and there were lights and things going on. And I could hear Carrie in the background all the way at the end of the fun part going, Amber. Oh, wow. And I was like looking around at all the lights and the fun things and the voice was getting closer, Amber. And it was getting closer and closer. And then I was like, Amber, <laughs> in my face. And that's where I woke up. And he was like shaking me. Was he screaming the whole time he loudly? He was screaming loudly the whole time. And it was distant for you getting, yes, wow. Yes, getting closer. And um, I guess the fun part could have been my heaven. I'm, I do love fun parts. Uh -huh. Maybe that was my head towards the light place. <laughs> I'm not ruling that <laughs> no, out. I know. Um, and then next thing, I hear Valentine's excited voice saying, Firemen, firemen are here, woohoo! And there were about 10 firemen running into the house, <sighs> two fire trucks, an ambulance. I love how LA does it. It's like all show. Right. Um, all you needed was the ambulance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the whole kit and caboodle. And so they took me to the hospital and I had ruptured and I had about two quart sizes of blood in my abdomen at <sighs> this point. And they. And I said, and I was so terrified that like I went in for the ultrasound and I could see the nurses' faces just the eyes pop out of the head and look at each other but not want to say anything because I was there. And I just thought, oh, my God, they've found cancer. They've found something like something else is going wrong. This is drastic. And they, the doctor came rushing in and said, we're operating in half an hour. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? He's like, you need surgery in half an hour? The next, like, doctor that's on is coming in. This is happening. You could lose a fallopian tube. You could lose an ovary. You have to sign this waiver saying we can take both um, one or the other or both mm -hmm. if we need to. And I was on a hospital bed counting backwards and imagining myself in Bondi Beach <laughs> <laughs> diving into the ocean. And, I, yeah, I woke up one fallopian tube less. Mm. And with... Um, you know, they'd suctioned out, vacuumed out all the blood that was in my abdomen. And I spoke to my doctor and she told me this amazing story that even though I've got only one fallopian tube, if I, if my, my left fallopian tube's gone, but if my left ovary produces an egg, she said the right fallopian tube, this is how incredible nature is, can f detach and fly over to the left fallopian Our tube. Our bodies are amazing. Pick it, up the, the egg, egg and implant it. Mm -hmm. How amazing mm -hmm. is that? We're just designed to create life. Yeah. It blows my mind. 
So that gave me some hope. <laughs> but but also let's just acknowledge like the one thing you didn't want, surgery. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? You still had to go through, through that, yeah. Even with all the best efforts and mm-hmm. intentions, like there's still that lesson for mm-hmm. you in some kind. It was very interesting because I was coincidingly when this was going on, it was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was last August. It was during my birthday, my birthday week. It was also the Lions Gate Hole Portal opening or whatever that intense, crazy time was. It was intense was. last year. Dude, that's on the same night I remember. this happened, a close girlfriend of ours ended up in a psychosis ward, like had mm-hmm. lost her. Like there was so much crazy stuff that happened during that week. But on that same week, all of this was going down. I was simultaneously having a very personal relationship breakdown where I was being forced to face my deepest, greatest fears that were still running my life to some degree. And I don't think that it was a mistake that I had a death and rebirth in a physical, emotional way in the same Physical, week. mental, emotional, spiritual. and spiritual. You hit all of them with I, the... Yeah. I mean, that was a physical yeah. death. I mean, Carrie's voice is far away and then comes closer. Yeah, it, it was... Um, I could only take that as such an opportunity to wake up to something and to clear something out that would not is not serving me. Like, I feel like that was spirit like giving me a smack and saying the time is now. It is time now to heal this, to wake up for the future of your family, for the future of your marriage, for the future of you. It's time to like let go of that. And there's no other way I would do it unless it was such a drastic life or death situation on in my relationship and in my physical health. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that that major breakdown in all areas of my life was designed for a major breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And so, did yeah. you did you learn anything? Oh, huge, huge! <laughs> I can't not. You'd have to be. It would be sad to come away from that <laughs> not having gained something, right? So yeah, I, I had some major breakthroughs on on both fronts, the personal front and the physical front. After that, and um, so getting back to your question, how do I handle the miscarriage? <laughs> so that happened, and then the doctor said, "Wait six months." And then you can start trying again. Mm-hmm. Waited another six months and then had another miscarriage. And so I said to myself, what is going on? I went back to my doctor, my guy, Western doctor, gynecologist, and she said to me, oh, it's normal. Don't worry about it. We don't even test to see if there's an imbalance going on in your system until the third consecutive miscarriage right. so the ectopic didn't count as one you still got two to go and I'm like this doesn't feel right mm-hmm. I'm like there is something my body is trying to communicate to me which I have to read between the lines and decode myself if I want to get empowered around this and I'm not going to keep having miscarriages until someone takes this seriously So I took my health into my own hands and started to do a lot of research around um, where the imbalance was in my system Mm -hmm. and where the stuck energy was and where the belief systems were that was kind of um, not contributing to flow in my body. And I found this brilliant doctor who works on um, 
a whole bunch of different alternative healing modalities. One of them, the main, the predominant one being kinesiology. And he um, discovered that I had two viruses in my system, which he believes were contributing, if not he, the main contributor to the um, to the imbalance in my system, mm-hmm. Epstein-Barr and retrovirus. Um, not to be confused with AIDS because a lot of people, when they Google it, it's AIDS. It's not. It's something different, the retro. Um, And that was creating a disturbance in my hormones, which had lowered my progesterone. Uh Because you knew your progesterone was low at this point. So I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I learned through him. Okay. My gynecologist couldn't even say to me, go get your progesterone tested because low progesterone creates miscarriages. Mm -hmm. She couldn't couldn't even tell me that. So I'm learning this all by myself, which should be common knowledge, right? Yes. So I then discovered I had low progesterone, which created the miscarriage. But what created the low progesterone? So then I looked at um, the Epstein-Barr virus and also the fact that I never recovered from my birth properly. I I nursed for over two years Mm -hmm. and um, I never gave myself those 40 days. And motherhood had been such a... I also did attachment parenting style and I'm committed to being an incredibly present parent and that demands a lot of energy and mm-hmm. time. And so motherhood for me has been extremely um, exhausting in a lot of ways uh-huh. and obviously beautiful and satisfying in all the ways we know about. But I was running on anxiety for the past couple of years since being a mother and that releasing stress receptors in my body was feeding the virus and feeding the imbalance in my system. And let's go back to the birth Mm -hmm. and the fact that you were so open. Mm -hmm. It took 10 days for you to come into your body. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you had said you were like disassociated Mm -hmm. and the stress, your body, your body endured physically to birth him as the starting point, then the anxiety. That's it. So that, the stress of the birth, then the stress receptors from just being basically low-grade stress the whole time. For two years. For two years, plus the stress of the ectopic and other personal stuff I was going through. The stress receptors feed the virus. And obviously stress just creates imbalance everywhere in your system. Right. So the stress and the virus and the progesterone all was leading to these miscarriages. And I really believe that I probably wouldn't have got to the root of the imbalance in my system unless it had been, I was being nudged towards completely healing Mm -hmm. on all levels. So that's where I'm at with my miscarriages and how I found for my personal constitution where they were coming from Mm because as you know there can be a a whole gamut of reasons why you miscarriage correct but a lot of the time it's stress and not really being depleted Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what are you doing for yourself I'm on a protocol of course Uh um so I have to bring down my estrogen because estrogen goes high and some, when progesterone goes low sometimes and finding that balance is what you need to carry a child beyond mm-hmm. the six-week mark. So of all foods that create that um, that support estrogen going up, so I'm off um, eggs, dairy, cheese, 
<clears throat> gluten, soy and pork. Uh-huh. And then um, I also follow the medical medium and he's got this incredible book calling called Healing the Thyroid Naturally. I've heard about him. It's, it's supposed to be good. It's brilliant. There's a lot of kind of, um, there's a lot of banter around him uh-huh. because, <laughs> yeah, but I personally resonate deeply with his information mm-hmm. and with his philosophy more so than any professional, medical professional that has studied, you know, it for years. Um, I resonate deeply with the medical medium's um, ideas and philosophies around Epstein-Barr and that being connected to all the symptoms I've been suffering from since the birth, really. Mm-hmm. So his book gives you a whole diet of foods that um, kill the virus and support um, balance mm-hmm. and just recharging your system. So doing that and supplements. Mm-hmm. And so where are you in the process for number two? probably about four months away until Uh I've brought my progesterone levels are now back. I'm now balanced on estrogen and progesterone. So if I got pregnant, I could technically, there shouldn't be any miscarriage um, problems. Right. But we were talking about this a little earlier to get pregnant now means the Epstein-Barr virus is still kind of open. And so you could not, you could put yourself back into that state longer term. That's it. So I would want to definitely be as vital and balanced and clean and clear as possible in every element of my health before I call in my next spirit. Because as I said before, bless you. (laughs) Because as I said, um, I'm interested in bringing in a child, giving the next child I bring in the best head start to life ever. Mm -hmm. And that would start with my own health. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, so I would say like four months. Send out some good vibes, girls. Good, good Gigi vibes my way. I feel like my like there's a little baby girl spirit that Aww. has been trying to come in, mm. but it hasn't been the right timing and she's still around. I still I feel her kind of floating around just waiting until everything's good, good enough for her to come through. Beautiful. So, yeah. Well, thank you. We'll see. You'll be getting a call. Don't you worry. <laughs> You'll be the first person I call. I'm like, Elizabeth, <laughs> get your gloves on. We're going around two. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to open it up. Does anybody have any questions out here for Amber or myself? I have a question about Epstein-Barr. Does, come on up. Like, is this one of those things that everybody kind of, do you want me to stay on? Yeah, come on. Come on up. I'll pass it on. Okay, so hi, Elizabeth. Hi, guys. Hi. So, milking water over. That's Excuse okay. me. Question about Epstein Barr mm-hmm. and the other virus. Retro. Retro. Is that one of those common viruses that everybody's walking around with and they don't know the symptoms, like random inflammation? And, oh, so and yes. so, is that something that people, especially having experiencing miscarriages, or what are the other symptoms? That people should yeah. Look so for. retro and I don't know. I haven't looked so much into retro. I've been focused on Epstein Barr. Epstein Barr is um, one of these new topics coming up, which people are only starting to get clued into now. 
And um, it's, I would say, like 95% of people have Epstein-Barr. It's something that we all have usually dormant or active inside us. And it looks like um, mono, like it looks like glandular fever in Australia. We call it a mono. And then it can look like a thyroid um, problem. And then it can look like a, um, like... Lyme disease, autoimmune kind of dysfunction in your body. So it goes to different levels depending mm. on um, your stress in your life, major traumas, trigger it to the next level. So um, I think I personally think my I took my mom has been suffering from very similar but more heightened um, physical symptoms as I have. And I took her and she's also got Epstein-Barr virus. So, um, I wouldn't There's a be, test for that, that they can de- be definitive? There, there is a test. I, I'm not, I've just been to my doctor who does kinesiology and he also has like a little scientific Do you want to plug in? <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. We know? Dr. Pei. Yeah. Dr. Okay. Pei. In LA? He, he's in LA. Yeah. P-E-I. He's amazing. He takes three months to get into, but it's well worth the wait. He's incredible. Um, and so, you know, and you can go get blood tests to back up his findings as well if mm. you need to do that. And so I personally think that in five, ten years' time, once the medical industry has caught up, yeah, they're going to realize that it's probably at the base. People see it as chronic fatigue or see it as, you know, adrenal failure or see it as brain fog or see it as they, they look at the other symptoms and try to treat the symptoms. But I would say the real issue of viruses that live in our bodies for our whole life and we're unknowingly feeding them and they're growing Mm -hmm. and expressing themselves in all kinds of ways. And you think uh, that most of these viruses were were healthy hosts for them, not just based on our stressors, but the genetically modified food industry? Oh my gosh, there's so many elements that are feeding the imbalance in our system and feeding the parasites and viruses and things that stress, I would say, is the main thing it loves, the stress receptors Mm -hmm. it, it goes for. Um, but yeah, there's certain foods. That's why I think it is so important for whether you're looking to get pregnant or not, just as a human to go get tested for viruses, because you could be doing something daily thinking you're being healthy, like me eating eggs every day, organic eggs, thinking I'm being healthy and getting healthy protein in there. And I'm feeding this virus. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's important just to kind of look beyond the veil like that. Really check it before we com- we. My daughter and I got parasites, and that was a whole three month checking what's under the veil journey. And same. it's sometimes it's really hard to um, get an accurate reading on a test because they are fluctuating and mm-hmm. they're moving in and out. It's a snapshot. It's a te- really a test is. yeah. It's a snapshot. That's what they call it. Yeah. Oh really? So how how was your testing? What was your testing so, around it? Blood, urine, bl- blood, blood, yeah. uh, stool samples, stool samples, stool yeah. samples mostly. I mean, that's how we detected it. We found it in her stool, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Well, we all need to check our stool now." Yeah, good. And so then we all got medicated, and then we all got on a diet, and then we all got on a cleanse, and then we all stayed on a diet. And now it's all about like understanding like how to like prevent parasites. Brilliant. But that's one layer. That's you it. Know? And then it infiltrates to the gut health. And yeah, then that it was. It's all gut health. That that is that whole journey was mm-hmm. gut health. 
See, and then so, you got activated around the importance of gut health just I'm from that. I'm getting my tr- nutrition certification because yeah, of it. Yeah, brilliant. That's <laughs> what happens. That's that's your whole what, life. It pushes you onto a different path, these yeah. health quests. And the Epstein-Barr virus, a lot of the time, burrows itself in the thyroid glands, mm-hmm. like literally burrows it and dulls the receptors. So it shows up as a thyroid problem. Mm-hmm underactive usually or Hashimoto's as well yeah and so people then go on um thyroid medication for the rest of their life but they're not actually getting to the root of the problem collapses all the other systems in their body yeah but no one is no one's really telling us to get to the root of the problem are they no they're telling us to buy more medication there's an amazing host Um, of yeah ingredients to be made yeah exactly (laughs) yeah Fascinating. Yeah, really interesting. You're welcome. Thank you, Danielle. Anyone else? Oh, yeah. Hi there. So I have, um, actually, more than anything, I want to say thank you for sharing your stories about miscarriage because I had a miscarriage before I had my, my child. But more interesting enough is your talk about Epstein-Barr. So I actually had mono when I was early, my early 20s, had no idea what it was. I just was tired and my lymph nodes in the back of my neck were super swollen. Had done a lot of kissing that week? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it was probably from probably drinking coffee with other Marines. I'm a former Marine. So being nice. around close quarters with a bunch of men can, you know, I guess, get you the Epstein-Barr virus. Um, That was a joke. Um, But um, so I contracted Epstein-Barr, but no idea that that, that, you know, that was closely related to mono. And I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2015, which is interesting enough, uh, Epstein-Barr can trigger autoimmune diseases such as multiple Mm -hmm. sclerosis. After I had my miscarriage, you know, there was all this guilt that was surrounded with, oh, maybe it was that hike I did where I twisted my ankle. And I mean, I was super stressed, but just you speaking about Epstein-Barr and the connections, how it can really throw your body mm-hmm. through a loop um, kind of really brings a little bit of closure to knowing that, okay, there might've been this reason mm-hmm. that this miscarriage happened. But then two months later, I had my, I got pregnant had my baby girl, then was diagnosed with Hashimoto's mm-hmm. with hypothyroidism after my baby. There we go. And so now I'm on levothyroxine, you know, mm-hmm. but more than anything else, I'm really controlling um, inflammation in my body by controlling my diet, like not eating eggs or not eating dairy, especially being indigenous too. That stuff is kind of I don't know. It makes inflammation worse in my body. So it's like decolonizing my diet. Do I have a cheeseburger now and then? Of course I do. (laughs) But I I just really want to thank you for kind of being so open about your miscarriage because my midwives here at Graceful were so very transparent and very helpful in navigating my first pregnancy and my miscarriage. And it helped me, I think, um, talk about it more openly. And the more I talk about it with other women, the more thankful I think they are of having the opportunity to hear my story and hearing Mm. your story really, really, um, really helps me. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing as well. What a wonderful story. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. Incredible. And congratulations on your baby. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. 
Anyone else got anything going on? All right. I just want to thank everybody for coming out. And I also want to thank Hatch. Um, we have all of this amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. So many goodies. So many goodies. We have pickles so and ice cream. And um, they have an amazing. And these these little um, little water juice bottles. Love it. Oh, love it. Really cute little drinking bottles. Thank you so Pretty much. pink. Oh, my gosh. Um, so thanks, everybody, for coming out and joining us and braving the Dodger traffic. <laughs> Good Dodgers. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Until next, I love you, Elizabeth. I love you, too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Let's awesome. do it again. Let's, let's do it again. Get, let's do it again with Jenna. Girls night. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for hosting us. And if anyone is starting their pregnancy journey and are looking for an amazing midwife in LA and a support team, uh, check out Graceful Birthing. We're going to add the link to the show notes. And also follow Big Birth Junkie Podcast for lots more raw and juicy pregnancy, birth, and parenthood stories. Um. So we have a little invitation for you as well, which is we in, if there is a role that has been defined in your life, such as the role of mother, and you might be afraid to move into that role because of any preconceived ideas of what that role means, we invite you to reinvent this role as you want it to be, rather than inheriting society's or other people's views on it. Create your definition of marriage, career, or parenthood that leaves you feeling empowered and inspired. Just remember, guys, uh, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review because we love, 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 love you when you leave us a review. And it really helps us get this podcast out there and to be able to reach more people. And remember to join us for our Insta and Facebook lives on Fridays at 1.30 p.m. Follow us on Instagram if you don't already because you'll get all that info. Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode and see you next time. Visit our website, themotherlovingfuture.com for more information. And please leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you like what you hear. We read every single review and comment and we are so grateful for your support. See you next week.